Well, if you would, go ahead and open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. And if you don't know me, I am uh, Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, Pastor Stephen, our lead pastor, he is in the middle of his sabbatical currently. So he will be back with us on August 15th, but he'll be preaching for the first time on the 22nd. And while he's gone, we're going through a six-week sermon series called Church Basics. It's a topical series, and so it's different than what we normally do. If, if you've been here the last couple of weeks, this is just review for you, but maybe it's your first Sunday, and I just want to catch you up briefly. Um, topical versus exposition. Exposition is a fancy word to say we pick a book of the Bible, typically we preach verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and work our way straight through it. That's not what this is. This is topical. And so we're looking at the church. What is the church? We've covered what is the church our first Sunday. And we saw that the church is the family of God. God's our father, but he's given us brothers and sisters to navigate life with, to do life with, to pursue Christ together. And we're to be a people, a, a children of God who follow him, who listen to his word. And then last week we considered who runs the church. That is uh, church government or the fancy word polity. And so we looked at elders and deacons and the congregation and considered what does it mean for each of these roles to work and function biblically and properly and that as they do that the church would be built up and grow in unity. And now today we're going to consider who belongs to the church and we'll look at two things that is membership and discipline. And so uh, I said it last week, and it's even interesting that Tom uh, prayed for Sterling Park Baptist Church. Uh, the, the structure for um, membership and the structure for the church discipline that we'll consider today, I took those, there are three questions that we'll consider in each one of those points. And I took those from uh, Mike McKinley, the pastor at Sterling Park. And so I just want to be clear to you, that's the structure I've borrowed that structure. I've, I've added content, my own content. I've not just ripped the sermon completely. But at least the structure of it, those questions that we'll consider, are taken from someone else. And so as we dive into God's word, let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for revealing yourself to us through your word. And we thank you that it gives us uh, guidance on how we as brothers and sisters can live together in unity and how we can pursue purity together. So would you, would you help us today? Give us ears to hear, to hear your truth. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, I believe that we don't fully understand the beauty and the majesty of the church. If we did, I think it would change probably even more of how we live with one another. And I know that the church isn't perfect. You know the church isn't perfect. In fact, this church isn't perfect, although I love this church. We have our scars and we have blemishes, but yet we're pursuing Christ together. And so if we can even grow in our understanding of the beauty and the majesty of the church. I believe we'll grow in our love for the church. 
and will grow in our willingness to sacrifice for one another. And just a small glimpse of that glory and majesty of the church. Um, Ephesians chapter 3, in verse 10, Paul tells us that the church displays the manifold wisdom of God to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Think about that, right? God chooses to display himself, his wisdom, through the church. And the very next verse, it even tells us that it's not by accident, it's not that God has failed through Israel, but it's been his eternal plan and purpose to use the church. And then the last two verses of Ephesians chapter 3, they show us that God glorifies himself through Christ, which makes sense to us, right? He's the perfect holy son of God. It makes sense that he would represent and glorify God. But it doesn't just stop there that Christ glorifies God. He even says that the church glorifies God. So I think that's interesting to think about that the church exhibits or displays the manifold wisdom of God, that it's been his eternal purpose from even before he created heaven and earth, and that he uses us to display his glory. Which brings us to the words of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4.1, where he says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Right, so this church, who we are to display the manifold wisdom of God, the glory of God, we are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that we've been called. We're to pursue purity. We're to walk in a way that makes much of Jesus, and we are called out, we're set apart as holy and devoted to the Lord. And so if we're to be holy and set apart for him, then it's helpful for us to know how, how do we define who belongs to the church? Or another way to ask that is, how does the church maintain its purity? Well, the church we're going to look at today maintains its purity or protects its purity in two ways. One, through membership, and then the second, through discipline. So we protect our purity through membership and through discipline. And we'll consider three questions for each of these. They're the same questions. And so the first question we'll consider is, what is church membership? Then, is membership actually in the Bible? And then, what should I do about membership? So first, what is church membership? Well, being a member at this church, it's not joining a country club. It's not getting a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's actually an invitation into a relationship with a local congregation of believers, with that individual. So the very idea of membership, it requires a commitment. A commitment to gather together, a commitment to sacrifice, a commitment to encourage one another, and a commitment to guard one another in the faith. So membership, it's a way that we mark off the people of God who are covenanting together to love and to follow Jesus together. But just so we're clear, membership doesn't make you a Christian. You could just say that membership validates you as a Christian, such that the U.S. government 
may give you a passport, but that passport doesn't actually make you a Christian. Or sorry, it doesn't actually make you a citizen of the U.S. It certainly doesn't make you a Christian. But as the government gives you a passport, they, they don't give you a passport and say, now you're a citizen. They give you a passport based on your citizenship, which is already true. So similarly, church membership doesn't make you a Christian. But in a way, it does recognize or validate that you're a Christian. And so by you, you saying, I'm a member of Hamilton Baptist Church, or I'm a member of whatever church you might be a member of, it's the way that you're telling the world, this group of believers recognizes and affirms that I'm a child of God. And so now that we've, we've seen what is membership, the question is, is membership in the Bible? And it's a two-part answer, no and yes. So no, the words church membership are not in the Bible. But as Christians, we use words that aren't actually in the Bible to describe things that we see in the Bible, that we learn in the Bible. So the first one is uh, penal substitutionary atonement, right? That's three long words. But the idea of penal substitution, that, those two words are not in the Bible together. But yet Christians believe that Christ has Born our penalty is taken on the wrath of God for us. He was taking God's wrath in our place. He was a substitute. He bore God's wrath and took our penalty. And then the word that you probably use more than penal substitution is Trinity. Nowhere in the Bible do you see the word Trinity used. Yet Christians for hundreds, thousands of years have referred to God, the Father, Son, and Spirit as the Trinity or the triune God. And so similarly, we don't see the words church membership used in the Bible. But if we were to gather all the evidence that we read in the New Testament, we could gather it together and we would see that there is this idea of people coming together, committing to one another, covenanting together, I'm going to live for your good. I'm going to sacrifice for you. I'm going to fulfill all the one another's of Scripture for you. And you likewise for me. So here's just some of the evidence. There appears to be voting in the church. 2 Corinthians 2 verse 6. Talks about there's a punishment by the majority. So there's a gathering of the people. And the majority decide they're going to, to exercise punishment on someone. The church is directed to take up offerings. So there's this order to these gatherings in Romans 15 and 1 Corinthians 16. Then even as we consider last week from Acts chapter 6, as the brothers gather together, as the church gather, they're approving deacons. Then there's also approving of missionaries in Acts 13. As the church is gathered, fasting and worshiping God, they set aside or they appoint Paul and Barnabas as missionaries. There's a list of widows being kept in 1 Timothy chapter 5. There's even stipulations of who should actually be considered widows that, sh that should be cared for by the church. And so if they're going to keep a, a list of widows that should be cared for by the church, then they've got to know who's in this church. They've got to have some idea of these people belong to us. We are committed to one another. And then we'll look a little more later at this, but church discipline. 
Even the idea of church discipline shows us that there's this idea of membership, right? If you're to remove someone from the fellowship, from the church, there has to first be a people committed to one another. And then last week, we even looked at church structure. Even the way that the church is structured helps us see that there's this idea of membership. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. So you who attend church, who do you give, who are you supposed to submit to? Is it everybody who says they're a Christian leader? Not according to this passage. Are you supposed to submit to every pastor in Virginia or Northern Virginia? Not according to this passage. There's this idea that there's the people of God who have come together. We use the term membership. They've committed to one another. We're going to be under this set of leadership. These elders, these pastors. And then on the flip side, how is a pastor or an elder supposed to know who they're supposed to shepherd? Who they're overseeing? Is it just anybody who comes by and decides to visit that day? Is it anybody who just decides they're going to attend three or four times over the last six months to a year? Is it somebody who watches online? Well, no. We get in the office oftentimes, not often, but periodically we get calls in the office from someone who calls and wants to talk to a pastor and they, they want to ask one of the pastors to marry or, or to officiate the wedding of their son or their daughter. And they say, well, we've been coming, you know, we've come three or four times this past year. And let, let's take COVID out of the situation, okay, because this has happened pre-COVID too. But we've come three or four times in the last year and and we consider you our church, our pastors. It's like, I don't, I don't know that I'm your pastor. I, I not talked to you. Our first conversation is today on the phone. And so I don't consider myself their pastor. And so how do your elders, your pastors, know who they're supposed to shepherd? Who they should be pouring into? It's those who have said, we're committed to this body. And we call that membership. So we've seen what is membership. We've considered, is this actually in the Bible? To which I would say, yes, it is. The idea of membership is in the Bible. And even all of these things listed out help us see how it's good for us to commit to one another, to covenant together. So what should I do now about membership? What should you do about membership? Well, if you're here and you don't know Christ, membership ought not be the first thing you're considering, okay? Us gathering here, if you don't know Jesus, everybody gathering here, it's foolish of us to gather here if Christ has not died and been raised from the grave. And so if you're here today, maybe you've been invited by a friend, and you don't know Jesus, then I want to tell you, instead of considering membership, consider first Christ, who has given his life, that you might be saved from your sins and, 
have a resurrection because he's been raised from the grave. And if you have any questions about that, if you want to know anything, ask the person that asked you to come. If, if you weren't asked to come and you just kind of drove by and you're like, I, I feel like I should go. For whatever reason you're here, if you want to talk to somebody about Christ, I would love to hang out with you, take you out for coffee, talk to you after the service today about Jesus. Because membership is meaningless and foolishness if Christ isn't yours. It's just playing games. But if you are a Christian and you're not currently a member of a church, then I want to encourage you to join a church. I think this is a wonderful church. But this isn't a plea for you to join this church. I want you to join a church, hopefully, that's close to you, that preaches the Bible, that loves Christ. And so if that's Hamilton Baptist Church, great. But I can guarantee you, nobody says, man, I want to go to that church because they're teaching about church basics and church membership, right? So we've not done this sermon series to draw in thousands so that this can be your church home. We're thankful that you're here. And hopefully it's instructive. Even for us who are members here, hopefully it's instructive. But every Christian ought to be a member of a church. Ought to commit to that body. But if you are a member here, then I want to encourage you to take membership more seriously. You can do that. Here are just three ways. One, join a community group. right, So that people can know you. That you can know them and that you together can help one another follow Jesus. Second, you can attend members' meetings. I know, like Josh just asked you if you're a member to attend a members' meeting. That's wild. But I'm asking you to do that. Right? When you hold a family meeting, if there's something going on in your family and you as the dad want to call a family meeting, you tell everybody, we're going to meet in five minutes on the couch in the living room. And your wife shows up, and one of your kids shows up, and then the other's like, yeah, Dad, I'm going to excuse myself from this. Like, Dad just called a family meeting. You should probably be there. It's good for you. Well, we only have, the good news is, we have two uh, family meetings a year, okay? August and November. So it's no surprise. There's one coming up in August, August 18th, if you remember. Your elders expect you to be there. It's a time that you get to come and hear what's going on with our family. You're updated with what's going on so that you can know what's important to us as a church, what's going on in the life of the church. And then also a third way you can take membership seriously is being involved in receiving new members. So if you're a member here and you see somebody new, welcome them. Don't be awkward. Like, don't, don't talk their ear off for 45 minutes. They, they, they're probably new here and just want to get acquainted. Like, greet them, say hi, get to know them. Make them feel welcome. You could invite them over for a meal maybe if you've seen them a couple times. But then also, here's, here's one I would love to see. Um, if you're a member, don't all of you flood this in September, but there is an upcoming Exploring Church membership class starting September 19th. Maybe you've been here a while and you want to get to know new faces, that'd be a great place to come. Show up, get to know new members or people who are, who are at least thinking about joining the church, and you can meet some new faces. 
it'd probably even be good for them to hear from you who's been a member for a while about why you're actually at this church, right? There's a reason. So get to know new members. Receive them. Make them feel welcomed. So church membership, it's, it's how individuals commit themselves to the church. It is how we ensure, as Hamilton Baptist Church, that we're pursuing Christ together, committed to one another. So church membership, it's one way that we pursue purity as a church. But there's another way. It's through discipline. So the same three questions we're going to work through. What is discipline? Is discipline actually in the Bible? And if so, then what should I do about it? So church discipline, just very simply, it's a process of correcting sin in the life of the congregation and its members. There's, if you want to kind of put some buckets to this, there's, um, there's, there's formative church discipline, there's corrective church discipline. And so formative is probably not something that you think of often when you hear church discipline. Formative church discipline would be the teaching, the preaching of God's word. So when you show up in Sunday school or when we gather together, that's formative. As God's word's taught, the spirit uses it to convict us of sin, to expose things in our life. And, and so that's a formative way, right? It's, it's not actually uh, uh, calling out a particular sin in a particular person. But as God's word is taught. The Spirit's active and alive and shaping us as a church, as people. But then there is the corrective church discipline, where you're addressing a particular sin in a particular person. And even with that, there's two extra buckets in there. There's formal church discipline, which is probably what most of us think about when we hear that word. And there's informal. There's person to person. Right? As you get to know somebody, you see them, the way that they treat their wife or their kids or they speak to other people in the church or maybe you know them through work and you see the way that they, they act at work. There's opportunities as we get to know each other to help each other pursue Christ, to follow him, to say, hey, I see this in you. I don't know if you see it like this, but perhaps you could follow Christ more faithfully if you change that or you stop saying these things. And then there's the more formal corrective discipline that we probably often think of where it comes to the church. And that actually is, is it's like anti, anti our culture, our society, right? Our society kind of thinks, well, sin, it, it, whatever you want to do with your life, as long as it doesn't affect me, then go for it. But that's not the way Christians think. Christians think we are ambassadors for Christ. We're ones who reflect Jesus. And so as far as I know sin in someone else's life, I want to help them follow Jesus. I want you to help me follow Jesus. But this more formal church discipline, even within the church, it may seem foreign. It may seem like, do, do we really need to do that? There have been times in past years where Cases have been brought before this church of discipline. And even in those cases, the elders have received questions like, do, do we really need to do this? Is it really necessary? And with a brokenness, we had to say, yes, it, it really is. But it's not so that we can air people's dirty laundry. It's for a purpose. 
But before we even think about that, we should ask ourselves, okay, well, is this in the Bible? And there's two passages to consider. The first is Matthew 18, which was read for us by Tom earlier. And I won't read that again just for the sake of time, but, but the idea in that passage is that when you see kind of that informal opportunity of church discipline going to a brother or sister who may be straying from Christ in a certain area of their life, you, you talk to them about it. You lovingly show them their sin. And then the goal in that is not just so that you can embarrass someone. It's not just to point a finger at someone, but it's the, it, it even says in verse 15 that you might gain a brother. That you might reconcile them back to God. That they stop straying from him. But then if they don't listen, it says to take one or two others with you who can even establish that same thing that you've seen. And if they don't listen to that group, then it's to be told to the church. We see that in verse 17. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So the purpose of discipline is restoration. It's to see a brother and sister walking faithfully with Jesus. So that God has given the church this authority, this power to help the people of God by enacting discipline. And then a second case that you can see in the New Testament is 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. It says, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that's not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife. So a man's laying with his stepmom, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. So church discipline is, is evident in the New Testament. It's something that we can use as a church, informal and formal if necessary, that we might encourage faithfulness to God. And the goal is always repentance. The goal is always restoration spiritually. 1 Corinthians 5 goes on and says, When you are assembled, when the body, when the church is together, in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you, that is the church, are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Discipline in all its forms is always meant to restore someone to Christ. To restore their relationship by ridding them of sin. Walking with them through it. So, we've seen that discipline is, is, is enacted by, church, by the church, whether individual or the church at, at large. And we've seen it is evident in the Bible. So, now what should I do about church discipline? Well, the answer is obvious. You should practice it. But in order to practice it, you actually have to know one another. You actually have to be committed, gathering together, meeting with one another, knowing what's going on in our lives so that we can correct and be corrected. So again, I want to encourage us to be involved in the church, be involved in a community group. I found that's the easiest way for me to get to know people. 
So I want to encourage you, be involved in a community group that others can know you. You spend time with them. You discuss the word and talk about life together. And this is good. It's God's kindness to us that he gives us the church to help us walk with him together. We have to be willing to receive correction from someone. So Proverbs 27 verse 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Right? Like a surgeon's scalpel cuts precisely. The intent is to do good, to remove something from that, one, that person's body that's hurting them. So are the, the words of a faithful friend. We need to know one another. That people can speak into our lives and we can speak into their life and help each other grow in Christ's likeness. And this is a loving act. Church discipline shows love. It shows love to the person who's sinning by calling them to repent and be restored spiritually. But it, it shows love to the person being sinned against because we're calling the sinner to stop. But it also shows love to the church at large because it reminds us that sin should not be tolerated. And if you keep on reading in 1 Corinthians 5, it even tells us that if it's not stopped, it can spread like leaven in the whole loaf. And so church discipline, formal, informal, it is showing love to the church that it might not spread in this body. But it also shows love to the world as we, the church, seek to live faithfully before God, as we seek to share the gospel, right? What's, what's one of the biggest hindrances to people coming to Christ? Well, it's hypocrites in the church. People who say, I love Jesus, and then live however they want to. And so by us loving one another, helping each other follow Jesus faithfully, that shows the world a great love, a love that transforms us, the love of the gospel. So how do we do this as a church? Well, we do it with grace. We do it with tenderness. We do it with patience. We do it with firmness all to expose sin and call someone to repentance. And we walk alongside one another. We don't just correct it and then walk away. We walk with people through the muck and the mire of sin because they need it. And guess what? You probably will need it one day too. And so you need people in your life that are committed that no matter what's going on in your life, they're going to help you follow Jesus. Whether it's a short road or a long road, that we would follow Jesus. And so we do it with a soberness, never rejoicing. And we do it always praying. Praying for repentance. In an article that was published in 2017, this lady kind of chronicles briefly her journey through church discipline. She was disciplined by her church. And five years later, she comes to see God's work and his love and care for her through that. And here are her words. Looking back, biblical church discipline had reflected God's holiness, 
And it was the beauty of his holiness that drew me back. True love shown through unwavering faithfulness to his word proved irresistible, gleaming, bright, like a jewel in the fog. So God's people, living according to God's word, believing God's word and practicing discipline according to his word, it displays the beauty of his holiness to everybody who sees. So we must be a church that protects our purity through membership and through discipline. Every believer is called to be committed to a church. And every church is called to practice church discipline. And that's that God may continue to, to, to shape his people and put them on display for the world to see his holiness, his beauty, his majesty. And so may God continue to form Hamilton Baptist Church into a church that protects its purity and its witness through membership and discipline. Let's go now to our Father. God, we come to you. We want to be a people who, who delight in you. We want to be a people who follow you faithfully. And we thank you that you haven't left us in life alone to navigate the, the troubles and the trials of life. That through the storms of this world, we have Christ, our great rock, to cling to. But you also give us, brothers and sisters, that when the waves of life come against us, we'll hold our hand and help us stand firm in Christ, who is our rock. So would you help us to be a church who takes seriously membership? Would you help us to be a church who takes seriously knowing one another so that we're able to speak to one another and be spoken to, receive correction? that we might be a people who are set apart, who are pure and holy, that we might display the manifold wisdom of God, that we might proclaim the glories of God, that the world might bow a knee to King Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.